It's February 9th, the birthday of Pope Honorius II, who is one of the potential authors of the nearly 700-year-old, potentially, grimoire, the sworn book of Honorius. And this is Witch Hassle. Let's get to work. Welcome to Witch Hassle. I am your host, Cooper Wilhelm, and we have a lovely show for you today. Lisa Marie Basile is coming on the show to talk about her new book, The Magical Writing Grimoire. And before that, we'll have Frank Civilli with an astrological election making use of what Mars is doing in Capricorn right now. Very exciting. But before we get to that, though, I, I want to say thank you. We have a new Patreon supporter for the show. Very exciting, bringing uh, the total number of Patreon supporters up 100% to two, which is lovely and huge, and I'm immensely grateful. was very happy to be able to put the uh, little witch hassle pin in the mail for that person and send that off as a token of gratitude and thanks. And I also want to talk for a moment about uh, a piece of news that has arisen. Uh, there has been something of an acquittal in the last few weeks that is of relevance to us on this program. Uh, the Constitutional Court of Thailand has thrown out a complaint lodged against a Thai political party called Future Forward that alleged that they had connections to the Illuminati and were plotting to overthrow the monarchy. Uh, the Thai Constitutional Court has decided that there are, are not sufficient grounds for this, which seems like a big win for Future Forward and potentially for the Illuminati. And I'm not saying that Future Forward is part of the Illuminati or even that the Illuminati exists. I'm just saying um, I'm asking questions. Anyway, so with that covered... We have, actually, before I even get to uh, the sort of big things of the episode, questions. If you have questions about magic, the occult, how to do something, how to go about the work of something, please do feel free to send those my way uh, via the Twitter or Instagram accounts at witchhassle or via cooperwilhelm.com slash witchhassle where there is a form. And you can also do it through the Patreon. And if you want to support the show via the Patreon, that, of course, would earn you my immense gratitude as well as um, a lovely pin and access to certain bits of bonus content, such as the episode that I'm working on right now where I'm doing research on a question that was raised can one use puppets or voodoo dolls to benefit someone as opposed to harming them? And my initial research has indicated that the answer is yes. So all that really remains is uh, fine-tuning some of the details of the hows and also recording the episode, which I will do and put up on the Patreon very soon for all those Patreon supporters at the, I think it's $5 a month or more level. So that's coming right up. But... Here's Frank with an astrological election for everyone. Hey everyone, Frank Civilli. I'm an astrologer and a poet based out of Queens, New York. I do tarot and astrological magic, and I'm here to give you a read on the stars in the weeks ahead. Some housekeeping before we begin. I do Hellenistic and archetypal astrology. I use whole sign houses, and I use the tropical zodiac. And all my elections today will be from New York, New York, and in Eastern time. All right, so let's take a look at the stars. 
These next few weeks, we have many planets transiting through the signs of their exile or debility. You can think of this as the furthest from home that a planet can be. Right now, that includes Venus and Aries, Mercury and Pisces, and the Sun and Aquarius. And so if we're feeling detached or unmoored or generally alienated, it's important to sit with that and recognize it, but also to recognize that this is a temporary swell in those emotional waves. Being away from the familiar makes us crave it all the more. Give it a few weeks. As ever, the wanderers shall find their way home. However, we do have Mars entering Capricorn on Sunday, February 16th, 2020, which makes for some dynamic change here. The precise election I want to look at is for 11.05 p.m. Eastern. We see Scorpio Ascendant, Mars in Capricorn in the third, and Venus in Aries in the sixth. And it's night, so Mars and Venus will be ever more cooperative. This is a transit I want to focus on because it's a shift towards something constructive. Capricorn is the sign of Mars's exaltation, which means that he's lavished and potent in the halls of the greater malefic. This is a welcome change to the skies, at least for the next few weeks until Mars moves further into Capricorn. Mars in Capricorn brings action and decision to the mire and the melancholy that we've built up. He's the excavator coming to root the rotted tree. What gets turned up in the muck? What can we galvanize? What can we toss to the compost? This transit also changes the tone of Venus and Aries. As I said before, Venus is in her exile in Aries and cannot express her desire as she might want. Though she remains frustrated, there is a chance to ground ourselves with this transit and our desires that might otherwise feel exhausted or overexerted. This is a good time to commune with the spirits of Mars. Get a lay of the land and see where they can best be put to use. They are active right now and they want to help. Draw them in with fire and dirt collected from a martial locale. Cast your words to the flame and gently extinguish it with handfuls of soil. Listen to the sound the fire makes as it goes out and carry those with you. And that's all I have for you this week, friends. So you can find me on Instagram at anti.bishop. Reach out with questions or conversation. Be safe, and until next time, be well. Thank you so much to Frank. Send any questions you have his way via anti.bishop on Instagram. And up next, we have my talk with Lisa Marie Bazile. Uh, Lisa has a new book out, uh, The Magical Writing Grimoire, which uh, makes a lot of use of writing as a kind of magic, which is very exciting. Lisa is also a poet and the founder of Luna Luna, an online magazine of witchcraft and literature. Uh, and we, we sat down in her apartment with her cat, and we, uh, we had a good long chat about the book, about her, about magic that she does, and her relationship with magic and, and approach to that. So I hope you enjoy. Here's that chat. When seeing the title of this book, my thought was that it was going to be much more sort of like taking a magical approach to writing itself, but like something that's really lovely that this book does is it really pushes the idea of writing as a kind of magic and using, you know, just writing in magic. Yes. So what, I mean, how long has that been sort of part of your practice? Uh, I would say it's been part of my practice since day one, but I wasn't conscious of it. So for me, writing has always been a tool or a method for transformation of the self. But I just wasn't putting the pieces together until a few years ago when I started writing a little poetry book with a friend 
called Nymphalepsy. And the process of writing that book, which was sort of a confessional or transformative, like, healing experience, um, I realized we were using, like, kind of magical practices in the writing of that book. And so I started thinking about three or four years ago about how magic is made through the process of writing. And then I started kind of taking notes around specific practices that one could do in order to generate magic during writing. So when you approached this book, were you doing it mostly as a writer or mostly as um, a witch? Do you, you identify as a witch, yes? Or Yeah, I definitely identify as a witch. I think I was doing it... For me, it's almost one and the same because I do see writing, at least in my personal writing experience in life, as witchcraft, as magic, as a ritual act. So I think I probably approached it as a writer who believes writing is magic. So both, maybe? Okay. Yeah. So one of the wonderful things that this book does, I think, is really talk about the idea of magic as a source of self-healing. Mm-hmm. And... I wonder if you could talk for a moment about, like, what do you think is the relationship between those two things, between writing and the sort of exorcism of the self, the, mm. the strengthening of the self, the empowering of the self? Where do those two things sort of meet? So I think, like, with writing, with, I think with everyone who, who writes, whether they're writing for an audience or for the self, for the diary, to connect with other people... I think like the base of it all is like to tell a certain truth, even through fiction. You're trying to get at some human nature, some story, some expression of an archetype, some confession of your own life. And so I think when you tell the truth, you're letting go of like shame and the stigma of your story and all the nasty judgmental nonsense that comes with having certain stories. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a healing in itself because not only are you being honest with yourself, which means you're doing the shadow work, you're doing the great work, you're kind of reclaiming and reshaping how that story or whatever it is affected you. And you're, I would say, destigmatizing when you share it with other people. You're saying, like, this is okay. Yeah. And I think a lovely connection you make early on in the book is this relationship between the witch archetype and ideas of stigma and truth. Yeah. So what about what about that sort of appeals to you, the idea of the witch as specifically the truth tower? I mean, that's what sort of brought me, I think, closer to witchcraft was the archetype of the witch and also all the subsections of witch, the femme fatale, the rebel, all the things that the witch embodies and maybe a person wouldn't call themselves a witch, but they kind of inhabit those qualities. I think for me, like the witch gave me permission to be unapologetic, to be rebellious, to embrace the parts of myself that I didn't think was appropriate to embrace in public or in my writing. And so for a long time, I was frightened to even really identify as a witch or to call myself a witch or to align myself with a certain kind of witchcraft because, well, because people are judgmental sometimes and they're reductive and they're, you know, they don't understand witchcraft or magic or the witch. But I think with all the people that are talking about it and embracing witchcraft, I came to a point of realizing like, this is actually my rebellion, my saying no to any of that fear or shame that comes with identifying as a witch. And so like, 
actually in the process of becoming one, it saved me by being the thing that I needed, which was to say fuck you to anyone else who judged me for it. Yeah, and I think that that empowered my writing like a million times over because it really allowed me to write what I wanted to write and uh, not think, oh God, am I going to be judged for this? Like, is this too much? Are people going to think I'm a weirdo? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So like, would you say, because you also, you know, I mean, the book isn't, I think there are a lot of books about the idea of the witch, the archetype of the witch and what that means, what that can do. But the book itself actually does give guides for approaching different sort of magical acts and magical rituals. So for you, what really, I mean, I know this is kind of a chicken and the egg thing, but what came first? The idea of being the witch, the archetype of being the witch, or like the magical workings that one sort of uh, sometimes includes with that idea. Though, of course, I think some people think of the witch as more like a certain kind of a way to be in the world rather than like an explicitly or uh, literally magical sort of person. Yeah, I definitely. So what came first? Yeah. Um, oh, God, I think it's all wrapped up at this point. It's hard to know. But I think of the witch as a way to be in the world, the way to a way to exist in the world. And um, I hope I didn't forget your question, but that's okay. I think like I approached the book with that way of being in the world in mind. So I wanted to use the archetype of the witch as a way to explore writing, which was to be bold, to be to confront your shadow, to embrace, you know, the darkness of that shadow, to make something out of nothing. So a sort of alchemy takes place when you're writing. So I guess the the witch kind of provided the framework for what is included in the book. Because I could write about writing all I want, but I wanted to write about it in a ritualistic, magical sort of way. So I really think it's all one and the same now for me. I really be- believe that the writing itself is magic. And also it creates magic and also magic creates it. So you mentioned earlier this idea that the idea of the witch and the sort of like, fuck you, I'll, I'll do as I please nature of that like gave you permission to align yourself with a particular kind of witchcraft without shame. What witchcraft would you, like, what tradition would you say you're most aligned with? Um, I don't think I'm aligned with a specific tradition. I think of myself as very eclectic. If anything, I would say that I embrace folk magic within the Italian tradition. Okay. With a little bit of chaos and just eclecticism sprinkled in. Yeah. I'm very intuitive. I go with intuition. I'm a word witch. So for me, it's very much like creating ritual out of what I have around me, what's accessible. Again, that kind of goes back to folk magic. It's, you know, what's in the kitchen, what's in your household. Yeah. And uh, I don't follow a tradition or an order. I don't follow rules. I think rule breaking is necessary for making the kind of magic that works for you. Mm. However, I totally respect other people's approaches. And I think that there's something to be said for, you know, high magic and ceremony and doing what is supposed to be done in yeah. a in a in a, an ingredient list or something like that but yeah. so it's also i mean something that's really marvelous about this book is that the magic in here is incredibly accessible to people who don't necessarily have the money for yeah um i don't know uh vellum right or i um so my birthday was recently and uh Yay. grace gave me a sword uh, I saw that. So I guess I'm going to have to start doing the high magic. It's incredible. It's insane. <laughs> um, but most people don't have swords. Uh, so 
how so I, I I love that this book is um talking about you know magic that is successful magic that is for all and I feel like that is really one of the you know that's an explicit gesture that you're making with yeah. this yeah yeah and it's important to me because I remember being a teen or younger maybe and getting that that um that book everyone had the Silver Raven Wolf book mm. that I think it was called So You Want to Be a Witch or something like that and I remember reading this book and even at the time I remember thinking to myself. There's no way I can do any of this. I feel completely like disconnected from any reality in which I would own any of these things. I don't, I can't even like buy a candle. Yeah. Um, I'm a kid. And then as I got older and, you know, started looking into looking into more and more ways of making magic, I suppose. I just it just didn't click with me that I I guess there's an anti-authoritarian part of me that I just didn't like. I didn't want to use this. I want to sub- substitute it for this. Yeah. For that object, that tool, um, that color, that ingredient, and it just felt right to me to pass that on because I come from a legacy, I guess, of you know, I, a tradition of people who made do with what they had. Like my yeah. family was poor growing up. There were immigrants who came over and we didn't have as much access as other people. And I wanted to honor that and also talk to the many people I've met who felt like they wanted something accessible that gave their lives meaning and sacredness. So I hope that this book does that for them. (laughs) That's marvelous. So you're doing these things as like a teenager. When's the first time you felt like you were writing something and it felt like an explicitly magical act or like the the use of words, which I guess are the most successful thing of all. Yeah, I remember it. It was hell yeah. Okay. Okay. It was it was 2014. I was working at a book publishing company as a Q and A person. Oh, cool. And yeah, it was great. I guess I was working on books. That was awesome. So I remember one day on my lunch break, I wrote an essay about being in foster care, and I thought to myself, "There's no way I can ever share this with anyone." I'm a embarrassed. B my mom would kill me see people would know my secret and then they would think of me as like weak and different and othered yeah and i hadn't really quite embraced that story in my i just kind of didn't even pay attention to my memory of it like i just pushed it so far away mm. and in the act in the act of taking notes about that trauma and that time i feel like i was like opening all these boxes in my mind and suddenly the boxes became less sensitive like kind of uh, it was like a way of um exposure therapy Mm. for myself and then when i wrote the piece about my experience in foster care and i published it like the literal act of pressing publish pressing send felt transformative to me and when it went up live on the internet for people to read and i shared it it felt like a actual act of taking back my power and my story and for a long time after that, I thought that there was some magic in that. Like the literal act of sharing it and the click of the button was like a, a new doorway that I had just crossed the threshold of. And from then on, I just kind of regarded writing as a way to be empowered, to give yourself power. Yeah. Um, and, and now even like I think about social media and I think about when you're writing a caption and you like press publish, like that's like when you intentionally do it, there's an energy you're putting out there. And I think that's magical. Everything we do in our daily lives, I think, when we're writing and communicating and using the internet, things that seem mundane, things that seem not so magical, I think they are. And if we treat it with that intentionality, it can be really transformative. Mm. Speaking of that, actually, so something 
that I rather like about it. I I'm opening so many senses with things I like, but I love, like there's a <laughs> lot. There's a lot to love in this book. That's really nice. Of um, you. Thank you. But like you you talk for a moment in 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 this book about the idea of making your own sort of mundane writing practice a ritual space. Can you talk about like what effect that's had on you? And also like how would you approach a thing like that? Let's let's yeah. pretend, for example, that the book hasn't been published yet because it isn't actually being published until April. April seventh, yeah. Which makes it an Aries. Thank you. It was going to be a Taurus and they made it an Aries. And I kind of love that. Oh yeah. More of a fighter. Yes. A fiery starter. Love it. I feel like more publishing houses should be doing electional astrology for when they publish their books. Cooper, please tell the entire world that. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if I suggest it at my job, they're going to... Uh... Laugh at you? I mean, I don't... it's weird because I feel like they'll feel uncomfortable laughing or something. Like, I had this this one time I... I, I, you I know, hope they wouldn't. I, I had my like end of the year review and my boss, you know, was like, you know, well, off you go. Have a, have a Merry Christmas or do, do Satanists... <laughs> celebrate christmas and like 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 i'm not like a satanist or anything and i didn't want to like correct her or anything yeah. like that but like just the idea of it's so sweet to like try to get it right try. yeah i think that's lovely but um <laughs> yeah but, i had someone say like happy wiccan christmas to me and i was like it's i'm not i'm not wiccan but that's cool thank you also wiccan christmas just sounds like <laughs> a great beach boys song <laughs> wiccan christmas <laughs> yeah um but uh so uh ritualizing the act of writing. How would one approach such a thing? What has it done for you? (laughs) Um, So I think that sometimes... Okay, how do I... So I think when people say ritualize a writing practice, they think of like this big elaborate setup where like everyone's out of the house and you set all the lights down and turn the candles on and like light some incense and do an incantation and that's great one can do that I think that is amazing yeah please do that that is awesome and magical and I have done that but I think that ritualizing a writing practice is a little you know it's easier than that it's less it doesn't have to be so dramatic although I love the flair and I love the pomp of that I always love that I guess you can blame my old, my former Catholic self. I just love it. But God. Oh. Oh, the drama. The drama. The high, ooh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the high drama. Um, but I, I think, I think a rit- ritualizing your writing practice can be a little bit more simpler. So something I was doing for a long time was I was just waking up in the morning a little bit earlier. Yeah. And writing in the light, a light was part of it. So the light became like a source of energy for me. And I was drinking certain kinds of tea, a certain herb, kind of get me in a certain mind space. Something as simple as journaling for 10 minutes straight without stopping. To just teach yourself that your voice does matter, it can flow, it doesn't have to stop or break. Yeah. Also things like writing time to the moon. So for a long time I was writing certain kinds of poetry when the moon was waning. So it was like a a sort of like goodbye poetry to my past, my memories, to the people, the figures, whatever it is in my life that I wanted to kind of separate from. So using poetry and celestial body together. So Mm. it's little things. It's not like you need to set up an entire evening of, you know, grand ritual. It's just little things that get you thinking and respecting the craft and turning to it as part of a greater cycle that teaches you 
to kind of embrace it and love it and respect it and know it as something that, you know, has your back. Yeah. And that you can fold into the beautiful parts of your life. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's so you mentioned journaling and I, you know, I know a lot of different magical folks will talk about how central journaling is to their practice. Like I think, oh God, what is his name? Uh, Peter J. Carroll, the mm-hmm. sort of big chaos magic guy will talk about, you know, talk, keeping track of all the synchronicities and coincidences in your mm-hmm. life as part mm-hmm. of your magical awareness. How important is journaling to you as, as a magical person, but also as a writer? Um, as a writer, weirdly enough, not very important at all. Huh. Okay. So as a writer, I don't really, I mean, I'll take a few notes in a journal, things, ideas I have and stuff like that. But for me, I think as a, a magical person, intuitive person, a person connected to earth. And I, I use journaling as a way of examining my dreams of focusing on like the dark sort of quiet things that are bothering me. Mm. I, I do journal synchronicities. I, dur- I journal dreams. Uh, I journal fears. I journal symbols that I see, numbers that I see. I journal feelings during certain astrological seasons. So like I've definitely come to notice certain seasons make me feel different things, whether that's like a placebo effect or there really is something going on. I think that's the kind of beauty and mystery to it that my journaling helps me unravel and gives my life meaning and allows me to kind of tap into something and ask myself questions. Also, I think journaling through anxiety and PTSD flare-ups kind of gives me like a sense of control. So I think all of those things that I do, do in some way feed my writing life, but they're more for me. They're more for my just like general sense of awareness and connectedness to my life and the planet and everything around me, which, yeah, I guess does nourish my writing. It's just not, I'm just not like writing and journaling about my writing, if that makes sense. (laughs) Right. So it seems like it leans much more towards sort of the emotional, spiritual, magical life. So shadow work. I think forms a, yeah. a sizable part of your practice, would you say? Or yeah, like, and my personality. <laughs> so like, let's, you know, because that's a thing that I think people talk about, but I don't know how familiar someone listening to this might be with it. What is, like, what is shadow work? And a quick sort of a quick, dirty yeah. Yeah. idea. What is that? Quick and dirty, I guess. It's like the Jungian notion that we all have hidden selves that we don't really allow ourselves to tap into it's the part of our the the unconscious the hidden the like compartmentalized away and maybe it contains shame and anger and fear and desire and all those things that we don't necessarily feel comfortable with on the day-to-day it that's shadow working is the work of uncovering it and kind of like understanding it and giving it respect Mm. and not running from it and how much of a role does shadow work play in this book I would say it plays a pretty big role throughout it. Like there's a there's a healing chapter specifically that embraces a lot of shadow work, but I think honestly it's woven throughout the entire book because the book really does push you to ask yourself questions about the kind of darker, more liminal, hidden things that you're carrying inside of you. Even when the rituals are maybe more quote unquote positive, like yeah. and less to do with trauma or or whatever um, negative feeling. Like I. I I really ask people to dig deep inside themselves to kind of confront the barriers that are holding them back from anything from creativity to like, you know, being mindful and present. Yeah. Like what is it in there that you're running from? Like, why are you needing to busy yourself so much? 
what can we uncover? What is hiding in there that's like just making you, you know, and, it, and I don't think the shadow is bad. I think it's great. I think it's what gives us our, our life dimension and beauty and gives us our personalities, really. It's just a matter of like, can we tap into it and how do we use it for good and how do we use it to grow? Yeah. Yeah. So the whole book, I think, is probably one big shadow work. Amazing. Yeah. Out of all the, the sort of ritual frameworks and ritual recipes you have in this book yeah which would you say is the one that has been perhaps most effective for you like what's a good example of one that when you were putting it in here you're like yes of course this one i can cut some of the others but never this one (laughs) um you know it's funny like i think it's the automatic writing ritual yeah which i wrote like 20 pages about and my publishers were like lisa Let's just dial this back. You have 176 pages to work with. You you can't do an entire chapter on that. And I wanted to. And maybe one day I'll do a whole book about it or something. But, um, yeah, automatic writing, which I think was given three pages, sadly, is the process of, like, channeling. Some people think automatic writing is when you channel a ghost or a spirit, yeah. an entity, through you onto the page without censorship or self-editing or basically you move yourself aside and let whatever it is come through you in my in my book i kind of examine it as the self that you're conjuring so your deepest truest most uncensored self so i mean i say this in the book people are more than welcome to connect with the deity or an entity of any sort any kind anyone an ancestor but uh, for me i use automatic writing as a channeling session in which I like ground myself meditate close my eyes and just let the words flow through me without stop and without censorship I do sometimes have like times when the message is pretty pointless and empty Mm. and not great and kind of obvious then there's other times when I do automatic writing that I think I'm writing something that I didn't even know or think about consciously ever and it's like news to me something that just came out of me that I then regard very like seriously. So I take the messages that I use from an automatic writing session and I really think on that going forward in my life or in a ritual. So I would say automatic writing. Yeah, I would love to write a book about that. I mean, (laughs) publishers, hey. Hey. (laughs) Um, I think... A lot of people will, when they when they sort of differentiate different ways of doing magic and different ideas and conceptions of magic, part of the sort of criteria that will put one in a camp against another is this idea of like, what are you plugging into? Where is this power actually coming from? Is it safe to say that you sort of think of yourself when you're doing magical things of plugging into essentially just a deeper self as mm. opposed to like a spirit or a god or a, a planet or something? Yeah. Um, I have utmost respect for whatever people do or or would like to do. I am pretty like I I don't really believe in a god or or any sort of deity. I I still struggle with my faith, I suppose is a word. I I struggle with connecting with uh something outside of the self. Mm-hmm. And I'm very open about that in all my work. So for me it's always been about archetypes and the deeper self. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like I connect with nature. That is something that speaks to me in a divine way. In particular, water. I find that to be, obviously, it's the kind of foundation of all life and our our bodies. So that speaks to me in a godlike way that isn't, you know, necessarily in the 
it's not a god, but to me it kind of is. Um, so I guess I would say the deeper self, nature, archetypes for sure, which I think, you know, maybe we, we, we're all kind of like little gods. I think we're all magical beings. And I think when we tap into the archetypes of the self and humanity and the greater story, the, the fabric of being alive, like there is magic in that. We are all living engines and I think we're all divine beings. So yeah, that's what I connect with, the greaterness of being alive. I love that. So when you when you sort of do magic to affect a change, that's, you know, you're not necessarily trying to... How much of that change is sort of like outward and in the universe and how much of that is really just like changes to the like soup of archetypes and the mm. and the hierarchy of, of forces within the self? That's such a good question. I guess... Or is there no difference? I don't know. I mean, I'm just throw- I'm throwing things at you. Tell Sometimes there's no difference. Sometimes I think when we change ourselves, the things change around us. So it's like by the very essence of self-transformation, the world kind of bends to one's will. Like if you want to see X, Y, or Z eliminated from your life, or if you want to see X, Y, or Z integrated into your life, like when you make a change in the self, things kind of fall into place around you. Yeah. It's this beautiful like... I don't know, musical chairs of existentialism. I don't know. But I guess, like, I would say 90% of or 80% of what I do magically, ritualistically is focusing on the transformation of the self. And I think that, like, I'm a Scorpio. I'm all about that transformation and death and rebirth. And when I change, things change around me. But then there's some times where I will do a spell or a ritual because I just like want something or want to get rid of something or I want to change some sort of external situation that like, you know, I want something, I want someone to respond to an email in the, in the positive. Like I will do things for that. I find it a little like, I have a difficult time knowing when I should cast spells because sometimes I'm like, is this really, really what you want? Or is, or, or can this kind of like, is this something you need to kind of fix inside of yourself? So it's always a conversation with the self. Mm. Does that, is that a long, very unclear answer? No, that makes okay. sense. That was okay. great. No, <laughs> don't doubt yourself. And it's the poet's the poet's voice comes out. I'm like, I don't. Who knows what I'm saying anymore? <laughs> who knows what's happening? It's, it's okay. Who knows what's happening? I mean, we're all we're all alive technically, and it's all going fine. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, actually, uh, speaking of us all being alive, and speaking of uh, the technicalities associated with that, there is, uh, you know, it's there's a spell in here about grief. Yeah. About about dealing with that kind of loss. But and you mentioned earlier, you know, automatic writing can be used as a vehicle potentially for trying to communicate with spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I feel free not to, to remark upon this because it is more of a personal matter than it is about the book per se. But I remember recently you were telling me that you were having a bit of trouble in your apartment with what seemed to be the presence of a woman and maybe her child. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how's that going? How are things with that? So I know I mentioned earlier, like, I don't know what I believe. I don't really know what makes sense to me, but I do know what I feel and I do respect what other people feel. And people have told me, I think your house might be haunted. Okay. And I did feel something very, very ominous and heavy when I first moved in downstairs in my living room. And, and honestly, I was doing a podcast and the... the woman who was interviewing me the line kept scrambling and she said is there someone in the room with you 
And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm here alone. And she was like, no, I don't mean someone alive. And I... <laughs> I love the casualness of that. So, no, she was a psychic and such a... It was so cash. Okay. So cash. No biggie at all. God, I love it. Okay. I loved it too. And I was like, yeah, I... I uh, okay, so a, a dead... Okay, got it. Spirit. Um, yeah, people have been telling me I think my house is haunted. So the line just kept going... You kept hearing static, which is recorded on the podcast. Oh, so kind of like you could maybe do like an EVP kind of thing. Totally. So she said, oh, don't mind that person. They're just trying to get your attention now that we brought them up. And I was like, that's great. That's amazing. So I laid out a glass of wine, some bread, and a little note. And I said, um, this was after the phone call. And I said, like, look, I'm not in the business of telling you to leave. I don't believe it's my place to do so. Mm. If you're here, you are here for a reason. We live here now, too. Let's just be nice to each other. And, like, here's my offering to you. Don't be super creepy. I won't tell people to, you know, get you out of here. You can live in my loft space in the living room or wherever it is that you have been kind of creeping around. Yeah. And I get it if you've had terrible things happen to you. And, like, I love you and I'm so sorry if anything bad happened to you. And, honestly, the energy and the shift that happened has been, like, totally amazing. And I actually feel safe and protected in the house because I think the spirit has my back. I love that. I feel like so many people, they think there's a ghost in the house, and they just, like, they jump right to the exorcism. No. Which, like, you know... Well, maybe if it's horrible, I guess. I guess. But, like, also, I mean, just, you know, like, I, the standard Catholic exorcism, I, it just doesn't, like, <sighs> there's just so much there about, like, oh, I have to figure out the name of this demon. And yeah. And just, like, that just... I don't know. I mean, sorry, I feel like I'm getting... This is my own nihilistic despair at, like, rules. No, it's that. true. I was like, anyway. I don't want to be a ghost police. Who wants to be a ghost cop? No one. Cops suck. Um, Great. Okay, but so you you made this, you reached out a hand to this ghost, and now you've got essentially what feels like a roommate who's looking out for you. I definitely do. That, I really do feel like an allyship. That kicks ass. Okay, so yeah. that was, so all that unfolded. It's been some time, about, right? About nine months. Okay. Yeah, maybe ten. And so where do things stand now? Um, I feel really good here. Like, I feel really, really, really happy here. Uh, I did take a bath about five months ago, and all my candles fell into the water at once. I was not moving around. And then after that happened, I my drawer, my drawer got jammed in my bathroom, and I pulled out, like, a baby's outfit. So I think there was a child living here. I think there was a parent living here. I think something went down with that family. I don't know what, but people have told me they felt like an adult and a child presence. And I just send them love, and I feel like maybe they just appreciate being seen. I really feel good here and safe. Okay. And you've, like, how many apartments have you had in New York? Oh, God. I've had... I think I counted the other day and told a friend, and I think I might have said, like, 11. And this is the first one that you felt something like this? There was one that was very haunted um, in the very beginning when I moved out of college that... Wait, when you were living in the St. George? Yes, in the St. George. (laughs) That was super ghosty. And that place had burned down. That's what I hear from everybody about that place. Oh, my God. Especially the basement where the laundry was. I mean, I know basements are spooky anyway, but it was... Uh, oppressive amount of energy. So I feel like I might have told you this, but just because, you know, there are people eavesdropping on our conversation right now. Um, <laughs> you know, I, so I go to a gym that's in the basement of that building. And right, right, the, right, the right, weight right. machines are all in what is clearly was a ballroom. 
And so mm-hmm. like you get this deep, like shining vibe about the whole thing where it's like yes. you want to cancel your membership and they're just like, You've always been a member here. Okay. <laughs> I um, went to that gym. I know exactly what you're saying to me. Spooky as hell. It's spooky as hell. Though I, I asked this because I'm a bit confused a little bit just from like a logistical standpoint, because I mean like I've had a bunch of apartments in New York. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, the only one that's ever even like been maybe slightly haunted is maybe the one I'm living in now, just because it's an incredibly old place. And mm. like I don't maybe I'm just I get my hackles up and who knows how much of that is just also me expecting things to go wrong because of all the weird stuff I'm doing in there myself. But um That's fair. Why do you think more homes in New York aren't haunted given how old and violent this city tends to be? Uh, because I think the energy is so transient and rushed that it's almost a city where nothing clings. Mm. It's like, we are all moving. We're all coming and going. We've come from somewhere. We don't really set our things down for long. Um, so I think that there's like a natural, like cleaning process that happens. Yeah. And if there is anything clinging, some remnants, some residue, some energy, some shadow of something, whatever it may be. I kind of think like even it is like a New Yorker ghost and it sort of acclimates and is less, less sticky. Yeah. We're a city of people who don't make eye contact with each other. Exactly. So the ghosts are like, oh, fuck it. I don't even care. God, I love that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's just a, that's just a, maybe, maybe things are way more haunted than we know. I mean, that could also be. Though, I mean, that idea of like things getting cleaned up very quickly makes a lot of sense. I remember I was talking to a friend of mine a couple years back about how you know, he was saying this city is very much a city of crossroads, which is, you know, the, one of the typical ways of cleaning out mm. spiritual detritus is taken to the crossroads, which in New York is more of an issue just because, you know, the more the closest crossroads is probably like half a block from your home. And that does that never feels quite far enough. It never does. And um, it also feels very dangerous. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, so like, yeah, who knows? Maybe that's what it is. This place is just getting uh, flushed out constantly. Yeah, maybe. But uh to bring things back to like a more sort of like formal journalistic tone for a moment, uh, sure. you, you are one of the co-hosts of the Astro Lushes podcast. Yeah. What role does astrology play in your magical practice and also in your writing? And we can make that a two-parter because I realize I might have just asked you a huge question like, how do you feel about religion, etc.? So like, <laughs> like astrology. Yeah. In your magical practice, what do you think? How does it work? Where are you putting it? I guess this is something I would say about everything that I do. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what I believe in completely. But I feel very comfortable in the mystery and in the liminal. I feel very comfortable thinking of things as ideas and still having that be meaningful to me. Mm. That said, I don't know if astrology is quote unquote real. I don't care if it's real. To me... I think the astrological signs in Western astrology, which is what I know about, mean something and have a really potent effect on how we look at the human condition and and the way that we handle circumstances in our lives. And it really feeds me and allows me to understand different parts of myself and different parts of other people when I look at signs and I study the signs. I think I'm like the most textbook Scorpio ever. Yeah. I can't imagine how astrology doesn't have some realness to it because I'm truly like the poster child Scorpio, but it plays a huge role. I think like I've, I've been doing shadow journaling with astrology for the longest time. So like connecting to the darker side of my moon sign or my sun sign, even my rising sign, Capricorn, like you, like it can be a, it can be a hard sign to work with. Um, so when I journal through 
those qualities of those signs. I kind of like illuminate certain parts of myself. I often do ritual in astrological seasons. Okay. So things are definitely going to change if I'm operating in like Libra season versus like Aries season. Just going to feel really different. My focus and my intention and my like desire for whatever I'm working on and the tools I work with it with are going to be different. So I would say it plays a really weirdly big role considering I don't know what it really all means. Mm. But I'm fine with that. And I mean, you you mentioned you, you sort of make use of astrology, at least a little bit in the book. Yeah. So... What role does does that play in your writing? Is it similar to the sort of the idea of ritual where if you're doing it in the Libra season, it's going to have a different kind of emotional and, and uh, worldview to it? Yeah, I mean, I try to take the lessons of what each sign is speaking about and infuse it into, like, ritual or writing practices. I love to think of my books as projects that operate within a an astrological tone. Yeah. So, like... Certain poetry books have felt can't like cancer. Certain poetry books I've written have felt Scorpio. I haven't like really worked with fire signs yet, but I tend to kind of like think I'm working on a novella right now for Clash Books that I feel like is the most Scorpio books of the most Scorpio thing I've ever written. Really, I mean that's the most Scorpio publisher I'm aware of, honestly. Right? Right? Um, That's so cool. I can't wait to let them know that you said that. Slash make them listen to this episode. I mean, by all means. <laughs> uh, so actually, yeah. Can you can you talk a bit about that novella? Or is that, yeah. is that too much in the... Okay, yeah. So like, what's the... <laughs> give me like a, like a five second or even a... 500 second <laughs> sense of what that's about. What's it, what's it like? Um, so my novella with Clash Books doesn't have a name. It should be out next year. It is an examination of grief through the lens of sex and the paranormal. So it's about a woman who moves to New Orleans and is trying to move through a horrible grief by getting involved with a sort of cult-like group of people who connect with the dead in a very specific and erotic way. And I can't say really any more than that because I have to edit this book and honestly, it's like I wrote a 5,000 page prose poem and my publisher is like, this needs a story. So there's a lot of work to be done. Amazing. It's hard for me to write narrative. I'm like, can I just write mood for uh, for like 500 pages? I, <laughs> I think you, sh- you should be able to do, I mean, who knows? Maybe once you have this edited version, you can, as a little bonus, like, here's the Oh my god. Just, you know, people yes. can download it off of uh, whatever SoundCloud is for books. That's incredible. I'm, I, I'm 100% going to do that and 100% going to say Cooper said I should do this. You heard it here, guys. You heard it here. Amazing. I will do that. <laughs> um, so I, I've been meaning for a while to incorporate tarot into these interviews. And I was wondering if maybe, how would you feel about drawing a card and then interpreting that card as a question? Okay, so if you would cut this deck. Yeah. Into threes? Uh, yes, please. Okay, so so the card we pull is the Page of Swords. Okay. So in terms of this book, what do you think of as the most sort of... I mean, actually, before I even do that, because like that's I'm, I was going to ask you a question based on my reading of the Page of Swords, but I mean, you also read tarot. So, uh, not as well as you do. <laughs> I mean, that's very sweet of you. But like, I what think... does this card say to you? What does this card... Oh, you know, I kind of read it and I read into it um, new ideas, something about learning, 
trying to kind of tap into something, but you're kind of still a, a novice, um, cerebral. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I would, something like that. Okay, so like, what do you think? I mean, that <laughs> correct all, me. I mean, basically, yeah, that and like, especially like the enthusiasm of that sort yeah, of thing, like excitement. So like, it, this book. I mean, like, there's there's a lot of into it that's like, I think you know, here's my idea of writing. Here's what writing is. But like, a lot of it's also giving people things to kind of run away with and try. So like, who is this book for? In terms of like, you know, is this something that like a very passionate writer? Um, who, you know, has maybe, like, a novel in the works that they're really trying to get going on. Is that who this is for, or is this for just someone who wants to see what magic and writing can be for them and doesn't really fancy themselves a writer necessarily, or is this mm. for, like, you know, the hardcore... Oh, hello again! A cat has jumped upon the <laughs> table. Um, not the table, the bed. Um, so, uh... Hello, <laughs> love. So, who is this book for, exactly? It's a great question, and one I think that my publisher and I went back and forth about because I do think the book kind of intersects a whole bunch of areas. I guess it's it's for writers, it's for witches, it's for people who are interested in self-care and healing and intentional journaling. Um, I don't envision this book, I, I don't envision this book being for like a hardcore writer who wants to publish a bunch of novels. I don't really even envision the book for someone who like has always practiced witchcraft or magic in their life i do envision the book as being like an addition to anyone's practice it's not going to get you published it's not going to teach you about witchcraft it's going to give you more direction and magic in your life that i think will help benefit whatever you're already working on so like it's not just for writers it's not just for witches it's for literally anyone who just wants to use their word to make their life a little bit more beautiful and sacred and who wants to do real work from within. So if you're a writer and you come to it, amazing. You're probably going to find it feeling very much like a home. If you're not a writer and you come to it, I feel like you're going to identify what you do as a writer, how your voice sounds and feels and makes you feel. And if you're a witch or not a witch, I think you're still going to find that it adds sacredness to your everyday routine and that maybe it kind of inspires you to tap into your like inner witch. But I think it's for really anyone who wants to explore their voice, make their life a little bit more intentional and like heal the darker parts of themselves and celebrate the shinier parts of themselves. So really, it's really, really for everyone. And I really wrote it to make sure that, that it would appeal to anyone. I, I wish I could give you a better answer, but it's for everyone. That's an amazing answer. No, that's great. It's perfect. <laughs> I'd um, be lying if I was like, it's just for writers. It's not. It's for everyone. Which is good, because I feel like writers get enough books on their own. They do. Um, there is any number of things from this book that might be a wonderful sort of introduction to it. Yeah. But I was wondering if you could talk about... There's one, there's one particular exercise in there that I, I think would be really interesting for listeners to hear about. So if you don't want to, like, share this, you know, like, buy the book, that oh, sort of thing. sure, sure. But, like, could you talk a little bit about, like, the creation of a magical alphabet? Yeah. And the use of that. Because I love how much of this book emphasizes the idea of words as material, mm -hmm. as, like, objects, as opposed to just sort of, you know, the like, not just the medium of thought but like a thing to hold yeah know? so magical alphabet there's a there's i mean this is a crazy giant massive subject that 
really deserves like its own episode. And also there are many, 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 many books written about magical alphabets. And I am certainly no expert, but I definitely use like two alphabets that I've created for myself. One that kind of looks and feels like water. And that's what I included in this book. And I created another alphabet that's much more minimalist and simplistic. And I create these alphabets that do that basically I create a symbol that represents A, B, C, D, etc. Yeah. And I use these to write spells, to write, you know, phrases, to write short like desires or wishes, and then I kind of like hide the the pieces of paper that I've written them on in certain places or I burn them or I'll, you know, bury them. So for me, it's not just okay, now I've translated this into my new magical alphabet and now it's a secret to everyone but me. It's not that. It's the process of creating something and infusing every single like pen stroke with your intention. And if anyone were to ever see it, they would never know what it meant. So yes, it is a secret thing, of course, and that's great. But for me, it's more about like creating something that only I can put my magic into and that only has my magic in it. Nothing else, nothing that pre-exists. Yeah. So it's a meditative action. It's, you know, something that I can come back to over and over again and have a book or a small little collection of statements and ideas and spells written in the special alphabet. And also the decoding of that is like a meditative act. So it gets you kind of grounded. It gets you thinking. It gets you connected to your own handwriting and to the magical act of writing. It really kind of puts you in a head state that allows you to tap into the actual magic of writing. And, and how do you go about, you know, generating one of these alphabets? Like, what is sort of the thought process involved there? Yeah. I mean, I was looking at some magical alphabets and looking at what they do. And there's like a tree alphabet that looks like trees. Yeah. And I created one that looks like water because I'm a water sign. I connect with water. I use water in a lot of my magic and I wanted to kind of honor that. So I'll use that magical alphabet. I'll generate little symbols that look like waves or look like a shoreline or that kind of just look like a fluid like water drop. And I'll use that sort of magical alphabet when I'm doing like water sign season work or if I'm submerging a piece of paper in water and it's supposed to have some sort of result because of submerging it in water. Yeah. And then for other for other the other alphabet that I've created, it was just really simple and based on like the amount of lines connected with A, B, C, D, E, which is easy for me to read and write and interpret very quickly. Yeah. So I would say a really good activity would be to kind of create one based off of something really important to you um, and maybe create one also that's just easy for you to write in that's yeah but I could go on but that's pretty much the basic uh, the basic foundation of it and I mean that's a marvelous introduction to get people you know (laughs) get those feet on the ground and get going with the it's really fun actually it sounds like a lot of work but the work is actually the fun part feels really good to kind of have this private connection between you and the page that only you can unlock the door to i mean that does sound very fun and also i i am glad that you are perhaps the first guest to really articulate the viewpoint of this program which is that (sighs) the work is the fun part the work is the work is literally the work is the magic yeah the work is the work thank you (laughs) thank you amazing Finally. Well, then I feel like that's a good place to kind of close it off. Uh, unless, actually, before we go, though, so the book is coming out. Yes. Uh, tell us where it is available, when it is coming out, where the, what people can do. 
Tell us all the things. Okay, so the Magical Rating Grimoire comes out April 7th. You can buy it everywhere, like from Amazon to Barnes & Noble. But I would recommend you order it at your local indie. If you need um, information on where to order it or any other book, you can go to IndieBound.org, type in a book's name, find where it's sold locally, and order it at that store or request it to be ordered at that store. And there's going to be a website component to this, which is called, I think, MagicalWriting.com. You'll have to check back later on that. But I'm going to be doing interviews with a whole bunch of writers about their magical process and including poems based off of magical workings and tarot cards and astrology so that if you read the book, you might want to have a little bit more information and you can go to the website and I share it all there. Plus, I feature other cool magical writers. So that'll be all over my social media account, April. Hell yeah. (laughs) And um, if there was one little golden nugget you wanted to like leave people with as you as you disappear into the ether yeah. of of this interview and then you don't disappear I mean you just you go back to being <laughs> a human being which you've been the whole time it's a terrible metaphor so if there's a golden nugget <laughs> yeah the golden nugget would be please never ever be ashamed of your story or your voice you don't have to share your writing with the world for it to matter or mean something. And if you do want to share it with the world, it deserves to be there and no one can tell you otherwise. Don't censor yourself. Honor your voice because I think it's that 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 changes the world. So that's my advice. <laughs> Lisa Marie Vazile, thank you so much. Thank this has you been a so joy. Much. Thank you so much. <laughs> Marvelous. Thank you so much, Lisa Marie Vazile. That was a great grand joy. Uh, be sure to check out her book as well as her previous publications, including um, Light Magic for Dark Times, which is a more uh, magical book, and Andalusia, which is a, a book of poetry that you can check out. And uh, by all means, go to Luna Luna, which she founded, or go to her Twitter or Instagram accounts, links to which will be in the show notes. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. This has been Witch Hassle. Good luck with the work ahead, and you know if you wanna pop over to our Patreon and do some 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 support there, always welcome. Or you can always reach out with questions to me for our little research elements at Cooper Wilhelm on Twitter or at Witch Hassle on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. Have a lovely day. Good luck with the work ahead. Oh, and our theme music, as always, is performed by Sebastian Baverstam and recorded by Edward Lee. Mm-hmm.